week I'm riding solo. Uh, my co-host Chris, he's out. He's a little under the weather. Hoping he feels better and he'll be back and better than ever with us next week. And speaking of things that are better than ever, we're getting toward the end of the NFL regular season. And it's been up and down. A lot of, you know, COVID. A lot of games being played on days of the week that <laughs> I never thought were possible. But here we are. There are a lot of good football teams. And I'm not just saying that for hyperbole. There's literally half the league is is that good. You know, you're talking maybe 20. There's 20 good teams. You know, you can put them in the categories you want to. But so I wanted to highlight some of the games that are critical to the playoff push. So if, you know, and I'm going to slip in a non-playoff team, you know, somewhere down the road in the conversation. But with that being said, I do want to discuss something that I think is important. And I and it's with the Chiefs and Dolphins game. And I think what we learn about the Kansas City Chiefs is, is that, listen, we know they're a great football team, but they overcame a lot in that football game against Miami. Because here's the thing. Listen, it's their 10th straight road win. And listen, Mahomes maybe didn't have his best game. You know, he had two touchdowns, three interceptions. You know, he went 24-34 for 393. But it looked like Patrick Mahomes was human. And we didn't think that was feasibly possible. And that's the testament to how great Brian Flores has that defense playing. Because you can see the change of culture. You see how that defense is playing significantly better. And they're only going to get better. But when it comes to Mahomes, that was just his fourth game in his career with two-plus interceptions. And of those four games, two of those were with three interceptions. The other game being that Monday night classic in the Coliseum versus the Rams. But this is the stat to me that really talks about and epitomizes Patrick Mahomes. He's 8-0 versus top five defenses at that, you know, that in a particular week of the season. The Miami Dolphins went into the game as the second best defense statistically in all of football. And it's a testament to the fact that how do you figure out Patrick Mahomes? Well, I've always said the formula is very, very simple. You know, Miami got the one part right, turnovers. Casey, you got to get him to turn over the ball, and you got to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And not a lot of teams have still figured that formula out. But the reality is when you look at the weapons of Kansas City, Tyreek Hill, listen, the running game, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you have, and then you throw in the fact you got Le'Veon Bell, and you got Tyreek Hill. But the one guy I want to talk about is Travis Kelsey, and, and I'm not saying because he's on my fantasy team. Listen, he had eight receptions, 136 yards, and a touchdown. It's his sixth straight game with at least eight receptions. That's the longest streak for a tight end. The thing with Travis Kelsey is, and the reason why I want to highlight Travis Kelsey, is Travis Kelsey is a guy that he, not only he can play, you know, he can play down on the line, but he can also play like a receiver. He has size, and you can't teach size. And you can't teach that athleticism that Kelsey brings to that position. That's why I think he's the best tight end in football. Like, no disrespect to George Kittle, who I like, because he's a WWE fan. We'll talk about them later. But I think he brings that dynamic that really makes Kansas City unique because of his versatility. But I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins. Look, as far as them for the playoffs, listen, the Chiefs clinched the, the AFC West. Not a surprise to many. But here's the thing with the Miami Dolphins. They have a 43% chance to make the playoffs. And their schedule, they have New England at home. And their next two is on the road versus the Raiders. And they got Buffalo. Now... They need a lot of things to happen, a lot of teams back to lose into the playoff ahead race of in the AFC. But it might be a somehow. very dangerous football team. And I, and I truly do believe that. But listen, a lot of things have to happen. And more importantly, they have to win out. And like I say, two of the three games are very winnable. Because we've seen New England. We've seen how their offense just isn't there. That Raiders defense just isn't there. Buffalo... For Buffalo, they could be resting players because remember with the format now, 
you know, only the top seed gets a, gets a bye. So, so really, you want to rest up because essentially you got to play in the wild card round. So that's an element to think about, but Miami have to take care of business and win. Speaking of taking care of business, the Arizona Cardinals went on the road. They flew cross country to beat a very good Giants football team. And listen, they had eight sacks, and five of those belonged to linebacker Hassan Riddick. And thrown the fact that he had three forced fumbles. Look, the, 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 the thing with Arizona, the thing with the Cardinals is, I really like Cliff Kingsbury. I like Kyler Murray. They drafted Isaiah Simmons. You know, the verdict is still out, obviously. But, you know, Vance Joseph has that defense playing very, very, very good football. And listen, the reality is, if you're, listen, if you're, if you're a Cardinals fan, there's positivity because now you have balance in your organization. And listen, you have, and then here's the thing, 15 takeaways in their last eight games, they only had three in their first five. So now they're creating turnovers, creating better field position for their offense to do what they have to do, shorter field for their offense. And their chances right now, they're at 51%. And these percentages to the play are according to the New York Times. Here's the thing about the Cardinals path two of their last three games are at home they got a huge game against the Eagles because the Eagles need that game the Niners at home and then you have on the road against the Rams and once again the Cardinals have to win at least two of those three games and look I don't know which Cardinals team is going to show up but if the team the Cardinals team that showed the play against the Giants is there they're going to make the playoffs and they could be, I'm not saying they're going to be a legitimate threat, but it's something to look for because of the fact of how that defense is going to progress. Do we know how Kyler Murray is? Kyler Murray, the dynamic player you, you seeing in the league now, but I also feel strongly about this. The Arizona Cardinals, their future is bright. I don't need to tell people that their future is absolutely bright. So, defensively, if they get better, if they can play this consistently, and they have the last two months, their last eight games, they've played great football. So if they can match that, they had a tough loss against New England. That was a tough loss. But they're still in the thick of it in the wild card race. And essentially for the Giants, they have to win the NFC East. There's no other way about it because the NFC East has been that bad. It's been you leave uh, you leave milk out on the counter all night bad. That's how bad the Giants have been. And listen, in that whole game, they had four plays in Arizona territory, and that's and they haven't done that in almost in fourteen years. The offense was bad, and listen with Daniel Jones. Look, he he had a fumble and that was his thirty seventh giveaway since twenty nineteen, and that's the most in that span. Look, for the Giants, I believe that I'm not saying we, we give, I'm giving the Giants a pass, especially Daniel Jones, because I'll be the first one to admit, I thought Dwayne Hassan was the better prospect. And look, you know, just a little really quickly, the thing with Dwayne Hassan is going on in Washington is, is that, look, that coaching staff, Jay Gruden, they didn't want to draft Dwayne Haskins. So Dwayne Haskins was drafted to a team that didn't want him. And they had to start him because, you know, because he's a first-round quarterback. And it hasn't worked out. And then new regime comes in with Ron Rivera. And it soured really quick on that front. So now, where do you go from there if you're, the, if you're watching a football team? And if you're a Giants fan, where do you go with Daniel Jones? Because... I believe, you know, from what I've seen, I'll be the first guy to admit, listen, he could be the guy, you know, Danny Dimes. But listen, a healthy Saquon Barkley is the key to this offense. You get a healthy Saquon Barkley, maybe in the draft, look for another skill position player, preferably receiver, shore up that offensive line, and that defense maybe add someone in on the back, you know, on the back end. You know, the, the rebuild's going to be quicker than you think because it's the NFC East. So if they make those changes, you know, listen, this year may be lost, but there's a future for the Giants. And speaking for the, for the future, look, 
when I saw that Vikings and and Bucks game, you know, I look down the road and I go, well, I knew Minnesota was rebuilding, and I'll admit they played they played very well. Listen, here's the problem, and it showed it showed itself when they played Tampa. Listen, they allowed six sacks. They're having problems with that offensive line. There's problems on that offensive line. And the reality is, listen, they run the ball well. They had a time of possession. Look, they had it for 39 minutes to Tampa's 20, to almost 21 minutes. So it looked like Minnesota was going to win this game, and then Dan Bailey missed some big kicks. And people say, well, if they made those kicks, they would have won. And I don't necessarily think that's true because then you're hinging on the fact that Minnesota's then you're, you're you're it's a lot of factors. I don't necessarily think those kicks would have got them there because the reality is a lot of things would have had to fall into place. But here's the thing. Going and shifting to Tampa, listen, Tom Brady is 15 and 4 in his career after a bye. When I look at this Bucks team, listen, they have a 95% chance to make the playoffs because when you play my Falcons twice, and then you have Detroit in the middle on the road, there's a good chance you're going to make the playoffs. And they're scary. Because, listen, I know what we saw against the Rams, and I know what we saw against the Saints. But at some point, I believe there are fixable mistakes, meaning that that defense knows it has to get better. And it showed, listen, they had six sacks. And what also has to get better, listen, Tom Brady has to be more, I don't want to say accurate, but he has to be more focused. There's too much talent. This is the best receiving core he's ever had. Evans, Godwin, A.B., you know, even Scotty Miller. They're about four deep at receiver. Then you throw in Gronk. You got O.J. Howard. You got Cameron Bray. There's not a lot of holes there. There's not. So the reality is, if you look at Tampa, you put Tampa in the playoffs, listen, I have them as a sleeper. And the reality is, listen, because this, this is more so to do with Tom Brady. I don't bet against a guy who has the most rings of any quarterback in NFL history. And this year's proven that maybe we didn't give enough credit to Tom Brady. For what he did in New England. And I know Tom Brady detractors don't want to hear that. But look. Look at New England. And look at Tampa. Because like I say, I had them going about the same record. But that didn't necessarily mean that I thought. That they were going to be the same. On the same equilibrium. On the equal, no. Tom Brady's going to put up stats. And I think he's going, he's going to. Toward the back end. The last couple of games of this season. Because the fact of the matter is this. Tom Brady did not have the best receiving core. How do I know that? Because go look at the list of Patriot receivers that have been drafted. Only two. Only two are on current rosters that they drafted. They have to bring in guys because they can't draft receiver. Listen, some teams can't get it right out of position. What the Patriots are two wide receivers, I argue that for the longest time, and people may not like this comparison, is what, listen, what the Cleveland Browns were a quarterback. It took time, and it's going to take time. Like, they, they got Baker, and they may have a good a franchise quarterback. Like, it's been the last quarterback before Baker was Bernie Kosar. And we're talking the 80s. Some teams can't draft at certain positions. They can't get it right. Go look at the Chargers when they drafted Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. It set the franchise back, you could argue, decade, decade and a half until they got Phillip Rivers. They set the franchise back almost a decade until they got Phillip Rivers in the trade for, you know, the Eli made a whole swap. So, in the end, Tom Brady looks right because it's shown that, listen, New England, maybe Tom Brady had a point. And a lot of fans of Tom Brady have a point. I'm not saying Belichick is terrible. And I'm going to talk about New England a little bit later on. Because 
at the end of the day, Tom Brady is winning these football games along with a great defense, and this team is built to go to the Super Bowl. But look, no one said yet you had to go into the playoffs, you know, 14 and 2, you know, 13 and 3. No, if you get in there, because you're going to lose close games, you're going to lose maybe that one game that you maybe should have won. And it, it happens. But I think they'll figure it out. Because right now, their path, to me, is one of the best paths in, in either conference. Because even if they lose, if they, if they, they're going to win out, in my opinion, but even if they lose a game or two, it's not the worst thing in the world. So, But speaking of losing, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Folks, one of the things that, I, listen, there are teams out there, you can get fooled. You know, you know those mirages. We got fooled. We look at, look at, look at how great the Pittsburgh Steelers are. Well, look at their schedule. But you dig deeper in the schedule. Too many close games. Too many close games for my taste. Because when I saw them play the Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys looked like the better team for 75% of that game. And because... Pittsburgh was hanging around, and because Dallas is Dallas, Pittsburgh won. Like let let's let's be clear on that, on that particular front. But here's the reality: they can't run the ball. Big Ben only had 187 yards. He had two touchdowns, two interceptions. They only had 47 yards rushing, and they've only had five games this season when they ran the ball 100 yards or more. And mind you, we're in week 14. And, it, and most teams, listen, worst teams can run the ball than the Pittsburgh Steelers. People say, well, scheduling matters and Buffalo's defense is good and so is Washington's defense. I get that. But good teams have to find a way to run the ball. They don't trust the run game. And maybe it's an air of confidence, you know, by the coaching staff that say, listen, well, we have the win by throwing in the air. And I'm not going to sit there and say that's a fallacy. I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is that, listen, running the football, it, it's about blocking. It starts up front. It starts up with creating gaps. You know, creating that gap. You know, creating the plays to get swing rights and swing left. You know, and so, but they can't do that. And what's happening is, and this is the point I'm going to make. Is that this is where I say, and it's not a knock on Big Ben, because when Big Ben was drafted, you didn't see a lot of great, you didn't see a, you didn't see a lot, a slew of great running quarterbacks or quarterbacks who were able to move out of the pocket. But the reality is, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if they had a guy like a Lamar Jackson or they had a guy like a, you know, like a Kyler Murray, the Pittsburgh Steelers would be a Super Bowl team. Because you, the thing with Big Ben, teams know he's a sitting duck. And they're going to blitz. And Big Ben's a veteran. He knows to get the ball out. But listen, you know, the reality is, is that when teams know you can't run, their defense, their defensive game plan becomes simpler. So the reality is instead of playing, you know, maybe, you know, seven, eight in the box, well, they can have extra, they can have extra corner, extra safety. Because basically, they'll, they're telling you, well, listen, if you beat us, we'll let you beat us with the run. Because we know you can't run. And that and that was very reminiscent of Alabama's defense. Alabama's one flaw for years defensively. And it, I remember when they played Texas A&M and Johnny Benzel in, in College Station. And I just remember how they spread. They spread it out Alabama's defense. And they darn near lost that football game. The reality is, there's always there there's always kryptonite in the team. No matter I I can if I can name a kryptonite of every team. Even the Chiefs, like I mentioned earlier. Listen, if you listen, they can't win a football game if Mahomes is not on the field. That's simple math. That applies to Aaron Rodgers too. You keep you keep the talent off the field. And what's the commonality between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes? They can move out of the pocket if they want to. Big Ben can't. 
And I'm not punishing Big Ben because he's not as athletic. What I'm saying is, is that when you pop in the tape, defenses are telling the Pittsburgh Steelers, we want you to run the ball. We don't need to put a spy because we know Big Ben's not going to go anywhere. Maybe for Mahomes and maybe for Aaron Rodgers, maybe for Lamar Jackson, maybe for Kyler, maybe for a lot of dudes, even Josh Allen. But we know Big Ben, we can add that extra play in the secondary. And they know that. And the fact of the matter is the Pittsburgh Steelers, if they can't run the ball, listen, it's not going to matter. Because listen, at some point they got to face the Kansas City Chiefs. And what the Chiefs do, and then you face them in Arrowhead, where listen, they win. And you have to catch the Chiefs on the day. Listen, I remember in the AFC Championship game, listen, the Houston Texans were up, was it, 21 to nothing against the Chiefs? And then and then the Chiefs realized they were they had more talent than the Texans and won. But the reality is, is the offense capable of Pittsburgh to run? Because you can run against Kansas City. You really can. But why? Because, listen, they know you can't. And speaking of things that can't happen, listen, you look at Buffalo. It seems that they can't be stopped. Josh Allen can't be stopped. One of the things that I said for them to get better before the season started was you had to cut down on the bad throws. He had to become more efficient of a passer and utilize, you know, utilize his talent. And he did all three. If you look at his bad completion percentage compared from this year to last year, it's dropped because, you know, offensive offense corner Brian Dayball has done a great job of getting him to play his game. And that, I'm going to reinforce that soon. Let, listen. You're an offensive coordinator. Your job in there is not to make a quarterback something that he's not. You make him for what you see he can be and utilize it to the max. That's the reality. And at the end of the day, when you look at Josh Allen, his size, he's become more accurate, and it helps that the front office went and got him Stephon Diggs. They got Cole Beasley, John Brown when he's healthy, and then they got... Gabriel Davis from UCF. There's talent on the edge on this offense. So, and this defense has just been Tredavious White, arguably a top five corner in this league. You got Jordan Poyer. So, listen, there's talent. And it's a credit to Sean McDermott. But listen, you just let your quarterback be a quarterback. This is why I always say, and I've, and I've come around the idea where it, it, to a degree, it does not matter if your coach is offensive or defensive minded. But when your coach is defensive minded, we think, well, they pound the football. Nick Saban was the same way. Before Tua, Alabama didn't have, you know, wasn't known for airing it out. But when Tua came and Nick Saban said, well, wait a minute, I'm going to maximize what he is and not make him something he's not. He's two is not a guy who's going to hand the ball off 30 times to the running back. That's not his game. And Sean McDermott realized Josh Allen is not going to keep handing the ball off in the backfield 30 times a game. That's not his game. You know, handing off to a Zach Moss or, you know, handing, you know, that's not his game. You utilize and you maximize what you have in the backfield. And that's exactly what they've done. So, speaking of maximizing talent, listen, I, I want to talk about Baltimore. And I apologize on last week's episode because I was very hard on Lamar Jackson where he can't read zone, he can't read zone defenses. He he's not he's not a pocket. I try Winston, I put him in the box. And I apologize. Because when you look at Lamar Jackson. Anything, everything that you're taught, the, everything that I've studied at the quarterback position, he throws it out the window. And that's fine because guess what? He's successful. 
And and I heard a lot of people when I put out Greg Roman as a as a potential head coaching candidate, oh, his playbook, you know, oh, he runs simple play. Listen, go look at go look at Greg Roman's career as a coordinator from San Francisco and when and now and now in Buffalo. They've always been very, very good at running the football. Because remember, and listen, for the Niners, they had Colin Kaepernick. So Colin Kaepernick, I'm not saying Kaepernick and Lamar are the same, but you maximize the skill set. Lamar Jackson may never be a guy who's going to lead the league in passing. He may not be in the top 15. And that's fine as long as he's winning. Listen, if I showed you a quarterback stats uh, 11-17, 163 yards and a touchdown, you know, that's not great quarterbacking to a lot of guys. But throwing the fact that he had nine carries and 124 yards and two touchdowns, you're looking around like, but wait a minute, this guy accounted for 287 yards of Baltimore's offense and three touchdowns. And by the way, it was the second game in his career where he had 100 passing yards and 100 yards rushing. His second game. That's how good he is. And you and you can't put guys like him in a box. The position is ever-changing, and you can't put him in a box like that. The simple fact of the matter is, is Lamar Jackson is what we used to say about Michael Vick, where it's like the cheat code in the game. Because, listen, as someone who grew up a Falcons fan, in fact, I have a, I still have a Michael Vick jersey. What I liked about Michael Vick, Michael Vick, I didn't expect him to, you know, make the biggest plays with his arm. But he made plays with his arm and because why? His feet allowed him to do it. It was different. And mind you, Michael Vick, which at what, 20, 20 years ago? What, 2001? First overall pick? So, no one saw then, 20 years ago, what we have now. Because that now, what Michael Vick doing is what a third of the quarterbacks are doing. That's what teams are looking for. They're hiring coaches that are revolving around. Guys can do what Michael Vick did and what Lamar Jackson is doing. So, when people say Greg Rome is not a great candidate, I told them, well, you need to look at the numbers and look at the eye test. Because at the end of the day, we can argue about, okay, he can't throw the ball. Well, guess what? He doesn't have receivers. So if they go out, because their best receiver was Des Bryant, and he was nowhere near Cleveland. Okay? So the reality is, you saw in that game, down the stretch, who got the pocket, makes the play to Hollywood Brown, makes that big throw to Mark Andrews, rolling out. That's Lamar Jackson's game. And you just have to let Lamar be Lamar. Just let him be who he is. And at some point, listen, he'll get better as a passer. But if teams can't figure him out and they can't stop him, why are you going to try to make him something he's not? That's exactly who he is. That's just like basically saying, you know, when you look at Dennis Robin, no one, don't change Dennis Robin. Phil Jackson never tried to change. Dennis Rodman. They, Phil knew what made Dennis Rodman great. He was great defensively in the paint, and he got your rebounds. And you know he was a he was an enforcer. That was Dennis Rodman's role on that team for those Bulls teams. He didn't ask him to be anything outside of his skill set. He never asked him, "Hey, I need you to put up ten points." Because he couldn't. Not be, because he wasn't asked to do it. And that's like, you know, listen, I've stopped asking Lamar Jackson to be to be like, you know, a pocket guy. I stopped. I stopped. Because when I saw that, the, his last, listen, I accepted it. After watching that game, I, I accepted it. Even the Dallas game, I'm like, even though it was Dallas, that's who Lamar Jackson is. He could have easily lit up Dallas's, you know, pass, you know, pass coverage, but he didn't. Because he was being who he was. And I have to accept it. Because he's winning. He's winning football games. And that's the simple reality. And listen, both listen, for Cleveland, you know they didn't win. They're on that listen, 
hiring Kevin Stefanski, I said weeks ago, you hiring an adult. You hire an adult. And you hire an adult in the front. You, you get the right people in the right positions. You're going to get success. The, the fact of the matter is that Cleveland went out and invested in the offensive line to protect Baker. But in that same vein, they, they paid $6 million a year for Case Keenan, the backup. And they didn't spend enough in in the secondary, which they will address in the draft because they addressed the offensive line. So I feel the next set is they're going to address the defense. Preferably, like I said, getting a corner, getting a safety. Because at the end of that game, it just felt kind of easy for Baltimore. That's why, remember those throws? If you had, you know, if you had invested in that secondary, Cleveland could have won that game. Baltimore wouldn't have came back and won, and then Justin Tucker, probably the the Mariano Rivera of kicking, closed the game. None of that would have happened. But I give kudos to Baker Mayfield. Listen, 20-47, yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. And listen, that defense of, of Cleveland, they had four sacks. I'm not saying the defense is nothing to write home about because I felt maybe a little they lost that edge. Maybe nobody wants to admit that in the building. Maybe outside of Miles Garrett, the defense is maybe nothing not that much to write home about. But listen, these are both probably more than likely these are the two team wild card teams. Because here's why: Baltimore has an 85 percent chance because they're they got Jacksonville and the Giants at home, then they go at Cincinnati, Cleveland. They have they go at the Giants, then they go at the Jets. So they're gonna be at the Meadowland for two weeks. And then they have Pittsburgh at home, which could be a, a, a meaningless game. So the question becomes, and I you know, you know, me and Chris were on it. The AFC North could be the best division in football. And don't sleep, listen, once Joe Burrow gets healthy, do not sleep on the Cincinnati Bengals. Because Joe Burrow, listen, when he got hurt, it was devastating. And hopefully, you know, maybe he'll be back next season. Maybe if I were them. If they told me that he wasn't 100% going into next season, I'd shut him down until he gets better. Because you're, I'm not going to put... You have to kind of treat him treat him the same way the Nationals treated Steven Strasburg after an injury. Where, like, listen, if he's not 100%, you just got to shut him down because you know his talent. You've seen enough to go, okay, we need him long term. We may not need him for this game, this year, but we're going to need him next year. So... And speaking of, of next year, I want to tie in, you know, the Eagles here. It's a big win against the Saints, a big win. But I want to specifically, specifically talk about Jalen Hurts, who, quite frankly, I had a I had a first round grade on him in the draft because I think one of the things he does well, he 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 throws a very good ball over the shoulder. I think he's his arm doesn't get enough respect. And plus, he can do the things that you've seen Kyler Murray and can do. And even Russ throw out of the pocket efficiently. You know, even Lamar Jackson just throw the ball efficiently. Listen, Jalen Hurts went 17-30, to 167 yards and a touchdown. But he also had 18 carries and 106 yards. Listen, the Eagles scored 18 or more points for the first time in the last five games. And by the way, they had 246 yards rushing. That team looked like a team we haven't seen in a long time. And you can hear reports in the locker room that Jalen Hurst brings a different sort of energy. He brings a different sort of vibe into that locker room and that starting lineup. Because here's the reality. I was a believer in Carson Wentz. But after his last, after I saw that game, in Green Bay, I'm like, okay, he he's done. He's done. Maybe that game, maybe even the game Seattle. They had him at Lincoln Financial Field. He he's done. I think you've seen the best of Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. That does that mean that Carson Wentz is trash? No. I feel this is what happened. I believe that Carson Wentz was invested in. So, and people say, well, Nick, Nick Foles wouldn't have turned it around. Let's just be clear. If, listen, go look at the Bears. Nick Foles came and really beat out Mitchell Trubisky. 
So let's let let's let's park the brakes on Nick on Nick Foles. Let, let, let's park the brakes on that. Good dude. Let's pump the brakes on it. Secondly, I felt when Jalen Hurst was drafted, it did something to his psyche. And the one position where your head has to be completely in it is quarterback. Because you don't hear wide receivers if another wide receiver is drafted. Listen, I don't recall Julio Jones's production suffering when Kevin Billy got drafted. I'm like, well, what's your point? The point is the, qu- the quarterback position is a leadership position. And if you can't be a leader and you start to waver, even a little, it's going to show, and it did. And Carson Wentz got away with it because they were winning a little bit and they were in games. But toward maybe the last two to three games, the wheels have fallen apart. They inserted Jalen Hurts in. And Wentz kind of felt, well, if I don't pick up my game, and it's not like Doug Peterson to give him a chance to do it. He did, and he blew it. And Jalen Hurts is going to be the long-term starter. So what do you do with Carson Wentz? Listen, Howie Roseman signed this dude to a four-year, $128 million deal, $107 million guaranteed. That's 8, 8.4% of the cap this year. But it's going to be 17.4 next season. Carson Wentz shouldn't be on this team because if you cut him, even if you cut him, you still got to pay him. I believe you get feelers out. And I believe if I was Howie Roseman, I will look at these four teams, and I have a wild card team. But the first team is the Colts because they'll have the cap space. You know, all these numbers are based on the projected cap they'll have next season. The cap space, they're going to have about almost, they're going to have $67 million. You get Frank Reich familiarity with, you know, he knows Carson Wentz. He's worked with Carson Wentz. And Philip Rivers is 39. And how the Colts play in this postseason, you know, more, you know if they make the postseason, it's going to really be contingent upon whether you need to go out and get Carson Wentz because they've shown you that Jacoby Brissett's not the answer because that's why they had to bring in Phillip Rivers. So that's one development to look out for. Next, Jacksonville. Listen, they're going to have the most cap space. They're going to have about $85 million. And listen, if they don't get Trevor Lawrence, listen, they may have the second overall pick. Do you want to get Justin Fields? Who's who's going to be, you know, maybe he, maybe that's the route they're going. But if you have the cap space to go get Carson Wentz, and here's the kicker. You may not have to kick out all the money. That's the thing. The Eagles are going to kick out some money for this, for the, for any of these trades to work. So you go out and get Carson Wentz, and the Eagles are going to pay for a percentage of it. You get a franchise quarterback. Then you got all those draft picks where you can invest in your skill positions. You can invest in the secondary. You can invest in your line. You can invest in the whole entire team, except quarterback. And if I'm a prospective coach, that would be interesting. You know, you get Carson Wentz, that's interesting. Even if it's interesting because now you have a phase of the franchise, you don't really have to develop Carson Wentz. He just needs to go somewhere where someone understands his skill set and maximizes. In Jacksonville, you bring in the right people. That could very well happen. My next team is New England. And I said I mentioned them early on. Simply put, listen, they have have $69 million in cap space. And Belichick, you know, he's going to be 69 years old next year. The question is, does a 69-year-old man, because this is a rebuild in New England. Let's be completely clear. They're rebuilding. You know, they lost the talent to COVID, you know, they because of COVID before they opted out. They still had a problem at quarterback. There were still issues at receiver well before COVID. These were still happening while Tom Brady was there, where they didn't have a backup player for Tom Brady. It was always Jared Stenham. And then you go get Cam Newton, who essentially comes at the door, beats out Jared Stenham. And now Cam Newton is not looking like Cam Newton is talented. Cam Newton, hopefully he'll end up somewhere else. So the question becomes, are you willing to go after Carson Wentz? Because if you get Carson Wentz and you go out and draft receivers, go out there and get talent and you'll have cap to get talent. Like I say, the Eagles are going to pay a portion of it, of his contract. Why not? For New England, because listen, you know, Bill Belichick, if he has to rebuild, he'll, he'll retire. I believe that. Because listen, he's 70. A rebuild takes about three years. He's going to be in his 70s. Do you want to uh, listen? 
I'm not trying to be ageism here. I'm not trying to, you know, you know, saying he's too old, to, you know, for the rebuild. But the reality is, does Bill Belichick have the patience to do a rebuild? Because if you really think about it, he's never really had to have a rebuild. Except for the first year he got there, he never had to really rebuild. You know, a guy's had six Super Bowl rings. Been to not, he's, he hasn't rebuild in 20 years. Let's face it. Does he have the patience for it? Does he want to rebuild? That's the penultimate question. And finally, I think the Bears. And what makes this the hardest situation for the Bears, they don't have the cap. Their cap space, they have like almost two and a half, three million in cap space. But they need a quarterback really bad because where they finish, they finish in the middle. So the question becomes, would you go after a guy like, let's just say, if Mac Jones, Kyle Trask is there? Because you need a guy with a big arm to play in Chicago. Listen, I argue that Jay Cutler wasn't the worst in the world. Was he the greatest? But you need a big arm guy. You need a guy who can work under Matt Nagy. And Matt Nagy knows quarterbacks. He did. He he he's not invested in Mitchell Trubisky because he didn't draft Mitchell Trubisky. Let's just face the facts. If anybody has to go, it's Ryan Pace, because he drafted Trubisky and this man still is walking around gainfully employed. He traded up. By the way, he traded up to get him. He didn't just sit there, you know, in position like, okay. No, he traded up. He mortgaged the future for Mr. Trubisky. And, and somebody has to fall on the sword. Because you bring in Matt Nagy. If Matt Nagy can't fix him, who can? He's a good backup, but he's not a starter. If some way the Bears, and listen, the reason why they can't get him because they're, they're two highest-paid players on the defensive side of the ball. And that's Kyle Fuller and Khalil Mack. That Khalil Mack trade, remember, the Bears gave up a lot. The Bears. So what do they have in assets? That's Ryan Pace. And listen, you got Khalil Mack, but defense was never really your problem. It was always quarterback. Now, you're, you're in cap purgatory, and you don't have a quarterback. I don't care how great your defense is. This is not the 85 Bears where, you know, you can, you know, listen, your your defense carried you. No, you need a quarterback now. And Jim McMahon was a good quarterback. But Jim McMahon couldn't win a Super Bowl in this era because you need talented quarterbacks. And then once again, I don't, it's not dissing Jim McMahon. I really like Jim McMahon. But that's the fact of the matter. And the wild card team that I think is interesting is the San Francisco 49ers. But to me, you run across two major problems. A, Jimmy G, he's 22 and 8, and he accounts for 14.75% of your cap. Those are the two problems. Because I get it. When you watch Jimmy G, he, he's, he can say he's 22 and 8. But is then the product of Mike, you know, excuse me, of Kyle Shanahan's offense that will that his father ran in Denver to great success. That run block, listen, Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson Jr., Rasheem Mostar, you know, and, and up front, you know, offensively, great offensive line. Jimmy G was a product of that. He was the guy just taking the snaps. So the question is, how do you do that? And you still have Jimmy G, who accounts for a large portion of your cap. It's the same issue that the Bears are in. Is that the Bears' issue is that, listen, their cat space is tied up on defense and not on offense. And that's why I say if you're Ryan Pace, that's why Ryan Pace should be fired. Because you can't draft a quarterback. Listen, even though, and I always make this point, the Bears may have in that division maybe the best defense in that division, but they have the fourth best quarterback. And you average it out, they're in the middle. They should be. But listen. They don't have a quarterback. Matt Stafford's better. Kirk Cousins is better. Aaron Rodgers is a heck of a lot better. And it's going to keep being that way until they figure it out. But the question becomes, what's going to be on the board and what's their draft position come next year's draft? And speaking of positions, I want to shift positions to the NBA. Something, a topic I really don't get to talk about a lot because my co-host, he's not the biggest NBA fan in the world, but... I do want to talk about, you know, the big deal that Giannis got. Antetokounmpo, 
Scott of the Milwaukee Bucks. He signed a Supermax deal, five-year, $228 million. It's the richest contract in NBA history. Now, I'm not going to be the person to say that money quantifies your success, but this is what I will say. Giannis is the man now. He wanted to be in Milwaukee. I don't believe it's the issue of he took the money. Listen, because obviously under the CBA, listen, and under every other agreement, listen, the team that owns his rights had the right to offer him the Supermax. That just so happened to be the Milwaukee Bucks. But he really wants to be a Buck. You never saw him going up there campaigning, trying, you know, to go elsewhere. That was the media. That was that was Twitter. That was social media doing it. That was never Giannis. You know, like Giannis to LA. I'm like, well, how, do, how are they going to pay him? Because guess what? They can't. It's just been... No, it wasn't going to happen. So he's in Milwaukee, and his career, in my opinion, is going to go maybe one of two ways. It could go the way of Tim Duncan, where Tim Duncan spent his entire career at San Antonio, opportunities to leave, but he won five championships, and arguably one of the best players, if not the best player in the history of the San Antonio Spurs. Or you could be Carl Malone. Well, you get to a couple of finals, and then you realize that you're playing for the playoffs every year, and you know your cap is maybe at most the fine, you know, the conference finals, if that, if not the semifinals. So now you realize that if you stay there long enough, and maybe the end of your career you move on and go elsewhere to try to chase a ring. But my biggest thing is the reality is But the reality is what's gonna end up happening is is Giannis going to be happy? The simple fact of the matter is, is Giannis going to be happy? Is he going to be the guy? Does he want to be the guy that wins, you know, he goes to the playoffs, but, and listen, while we're talking about the money he's making, it's great, but sometimes the fans will turn on him if, in those five years, they, they can't get to the NBA finals. That's the reality of the situation that he's facing, and I think Giannis is a good dude, but is he a closer? That's the question, and I'm not the only one asking it. Other The fans are asking it, too. So, with that, I think I'm happy for Giannis, but I think his career is going to go one of those two ways. Or it could be the, the third way where he could just want out altogether and and pull like a Dwight Howard type thing where he just wants out and you're going to get something in return. Maybe not the full value, but that's just the nuclear option there. But speaking of options, you know, one of the things I like about Major League Baseball. Sometimes I can argue not a lot of things to like. But listen, they the Negro Leagues now, 34, almost around 3,400 players are being recognized, and their stats are being recognized by Major League Baseball. And the Negro Leagues was seven leagues from 1920 to 1948. And as someone whose his first love was baseball, a lot of fans will tell you, sports fans will tell you they love baseball. Because baseball, listen, I grew up playing it. You know, growing up in the, you know, like, you know, Little League. And I grew, played in, you know, in the league, City League. Baseball is a great sport. Again, I love football. I love talking about the NBA, which I just did. But something about baseball, and it drew me to love baseball. And, and the simple fact of the matter is, when I saw that, as someone who's read about it, was familiar with the history. It's, I was happy. And then when Bob Kendrick, you know, I think it was recognition for him because he kept it alive. He kept the Negro League alive. He kept the names like, you know, Buck O'Neill and Monty Irvin and Jackie Robinson, you know, Stretch Buck Leonard, Satchel Page, Josh Gibson. He kept those names alive. And a lot of guys, who started there. Like I mentioned, Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, you know, who started in the Negro Leagues and became stars in the Major League Baseball. 
And people are going to say, well, maybe it's long overdue. Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of things were long overdue. I argue, if 2020 hasn't taught us anything, a lot of things are long overdue. You know, we look at, using an example, listen, I think it was long overdue, we could say, to have a female vice president, to have someone in the executive branch of government. People say it's long overdue, but it happens. And what I always say is that sometimes change is not always imminent. I think of change as when you you're letting it you're letting it percolate. It's not instant like instant rice or instant. It's not you know it takes time. And I think for Major League Baseball to do this, I think it's amazing. For all the things I say negative about baseball, they got this right. And yet they may be patting themselves on the back and shaking hands. Listen, it's not going to erase how they treated black players. Let's be clear, it's not going to change the way. But the reality is. They did it. And now it's being recognized in the league. The Negro Leagues get the recognition. And I hope people study the Negro Leagues. Read the books. Like, if, if you know about the history, go check out, you know, listen, when it's all say, you know, you can go online. Check out the Negro League Museum. At some point, I want to go to, once everything is safe to travel, I want to go to Missouri and go to the museum. Because I love history and I love baseball. And I love the Negro Leagues because of its history. The stars are produced, but more importantly, what it mean, what it meant in in our country, because everything was divided. We were divided nation racially, and sports was divided racially in baseball. And it integrated. Jackie Robinson came. He dealt with, he dealt with it. But listen, it works. I want people to study the Negro Leagues and understand the Negro Leagues because it's a great league. They were great leagues for almost 30 years. And I and it deserved the recognition. And I'm not gonna be the person. You may be people I hear I see and read things like race baiting, and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. Let's just be appreciative of the moment and accept it and embrace it. That's how I feel. And speaking of things to accept and embrace before we wrap up, I want to talk about wrestling. I've always embraced wrestling since I was a kid. I told this story maybe on Twitter. I think I told a few people. Growing up, I was a huge Ahmed Johnson fan. You know, for you WWF fans or WWE fans out there. You know, my mom bought me an action figure when I was probably about four or five years old. Like, so 92, 93. And it's the first action figure I had. Because I fell in, because I guess it was maybe seeing someone like me on the screen. But I fell in love with Ahmed Johnson. And then I fell in love with wrestling. And I've been in love with wrestling for, if you do the math, maybe, I've been in love with 28 years. So, but this year more than ever, I appreciated wrestling. Because of the growth it has. And listen, just like every industry, there's always room to grow. But one of the things about wrestling is that you're starting to see something that I hold near and dear. Women's wrestling become the forefront in a lot of these industries because back in the day you know WWE fans you know will admit listen a lot of a lot of fans saw it as when the women came in the ring it was a you know it was the bathroom break and there were five minute matches but now those five minute matches become main event matches they become must-see matches and and I'm glad to see because I, I love wrestling, but seeing women's wrestling grow. 2020 saw it grow. It's grown every year. But to see it this year, to see the shine that it's getting. And I think seeing Sasha Banks and Bailey, and I write about this in my Slammies predictions for the podcast article. I talk about, you know, give up my Slammies and hint, hint, they're on there. Because I... When this, when the whole pandemic happened, what was WWE going to do? They had plans, but they pushed to arguably at that moment the two best superstars they had, man or woman, at that time. At that time, they pushed Sasha Banks and they pushed Bailey. They pushed them as a team. Think about the storylines. They were tag team champions, you know. 
each were individual champions. And it and, and wasn't one has the belt to this day. And Sasha Banks. They were the story of the summer. They were the story of the prison. When wrestling needed, when WWE needed storylines and stars, Sasha Banks and Bayley were somewhere in the epicenter of it. They were somewhere around, if not the focal point. Who started Raw? Who started SmackDown? They even went on NXT. They crossed brands. So women's wrestling has evolved more in 2020. What I also like is, is that now we appreciate how many great brands they are. Listen, I'll always watch WWE. But listen, but now I watch Impact more. I you listen, I watched Impact. I'm watching it more. I'm watching more AEW. I'm watching AEW. There's a lot of listen, folks. For those on wrestling Twitter, one promotion is listen, they're if you really sit down and think, but they're all the same. Maybe they're run differently, but they're all the same. You focus on the talent and how that's used. Don't focus on what's not there, focus on what's there. Because remember, the face listen, someone who WB promoted Roman Reigns was not there. He didn't show up until SummerSlam. SummerSlam was in August. So let, let's think about that. And when the pandemic hit, what about March? So you think about that. For 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 four months, almost four to six months, there was no Roman Reigns. But that's why I say Sasha Banks and Bailey carrying the torch. Wrestling can survive. Wrestling, you can build around one person, but you need a great core to make it work. I don't care what company or what business it is. You need to have that. And listen, I understand when people say, well, you know what, Ladarius? What I don't like about wrestling is how talent, and I get it, but I'll give you a clue. I guarantee you in any promotion, you ask me what's wrong with it. It's storylines. Because you need someone who understands the wrestler. Uh, once again, Something I said all the way about quarterbacks is very applicable here. Is that knowing somebody's skill set, knowing their talent, and maximizing it. That's what great storylines are about. It's about maximizing the talent of the individuals you're using in the storyline. Why? Look at the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso story. Look at, look at, you know what that story? You maximize Roman Reigns. And you maximize Jey Uso when it worked. It's understanding what Roman Reigns could do. Because listen, remember, we were criticizing Roman Reigns. Because remember, he got dissed in the ring by John Cena because he couldn't talk on the mic. Now Roman Reigns has turned into maybe one of the better talkers in the company. Why? Because they knew something that we didn't know. Taking time off. Listen, they knew his skill set. They knew it was in him. And you're seeing it. And they're reaping the benefits. The fact of the matter is, I'm overall impressed with what I'm seeing. And I hope many of other people are as well. So, with that being said, before I close, listen, understand about wrestling is there are certain things that belong. Listen, our, us as fans, we belong because we appreciate the wrestlers and they appreciate us. Things that can go away. Stop sending mail to other people's homes and stop cyberbullying. Because it's not right, it's not cool, and you can't justify it to me. So at the end of the day, let's focus on what makes wrestling great. Let's not focus on the negative because there's been a lot of negative in 2020. And let's... Hopefully those who've done wrong pertaining in the wrestling in wrestling community, they will get their just their just desserts. And speaking of just desserts, that's a it's a maybe a bitter time, but to end this week's episode. But to to continue with the podcast, to continue to follow us, go to sportsintheworld.com dot wordpress.com to check out our articles. Go to our social media, Facebook and Twitter at Sports the World. 
Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash sports the world. Check me out on Twitter at, at Ladarius underscore Brown, Instagram at the Big Nerd77. And check out for an article this weekend where I'll talk about the college football playoff. And until you hear me again and hopefully hear Chris well next week, be real, be you, and be blessed from all of us here from the sports and the world podcast.